0: Well, happy January 22nd, everybody. So good to see you. If you have a copy of God's Word, join me in Luke chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of your New Testament. If you're a guest with us, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here. And last week, we began a series called Surrender, the subtitle being Jesus Wants All of You. Uh, there's nothing magical about the turning over of the of the the calendar every year, but there is something about the turning over of a new year that does make us sort of almost reflexively oriented toward the future, and, and that makes the the new year a pretty appropriate time uh, to leverage that 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 mentality, that pensiveness, that kind of creeps up around uh, every January with each one of us that thinks, how can I make this one better than the last one? What a great time to talk about what it really means to follow Jesus and to commit ourselves anew, to follow him afresh. That requires giving everything you have to him. That requires our church collectively giving everything we have to him. And as I shared with you last week, I think 2023 is going to be looked back on a covenant as a pivotal year. I believe change is coming. I believe the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in the lives of people. In fact, I don't just believe it, I know it. I've seen it. I've seen the evidence of it. I'm seeing the fruit ooze out of so many people in our ministries and the way that we are serving the Lord Jesus and some of the lives that are already being transformed. And I think the Lord wants to do more of that, don't you? I do. And I think he wants to use our entire church family to do that. So I think over the next several weeks and throughout this year, some lives in front of me are going to be profoundly changed, shaken to the core even perhaps before that happens, but changed nonetheless. I think our church is going to be changed. I think the potential for us to be set on a, on a trajectory that we never thought possible is coming in 2023. But it's going to require you and me giving everything we have and being willing to play whatever part we can in the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about today. That's embedded really in the story of these men who lowered their friend through a roof. How's that for a Bible story? Tearing the roof off of a place. In order to get your friend to Jesus. We can learn some things, I think, from that story. Several, about seven years ago, our church partnered with several other area churches around the, the region, and we brought Coach Joe Gibbs to the Panhandle. Now, how many of you are older than 30, and you know who I'm talking about? Famed? what? Well, yeah, don't clap too loud. He was a Redskins coach, but you know. Um, I'm sorry. I know I'm in enemy territory here, but go Steelers. And um but but he came, right? And it was great. And here's the thing I love about, about Coach Gibbs. Um, famed NASCAR owner, uh, football coach, championship football coach, you know, back when they were good. Um, and, uh, and so he brought, but here's the thing you, you want to love bo- best about, about Coach Gibbs. He is a dedicated believer in Jesus. Loves Jesus. And it was such a delight to partner with other churches, to rent out the Ransom Civic Center. I remember that morning early. It was, it was a little bit cool. For the time of year it was, and uh, there was coffee there, and great breakfast, and then all of a sudden, here he goes. Coach Joe Gibbs gets up onto that podium to speak to roughly 2,000 people about Jesus. It was a great day. But here's how he started. He started by addressing the Redskins fans that were in the room. He said, for those because he said, I know I'm on the outskirts of D.C., I know there's probably more than the normal amount of Redskins fans here, and I want to speak to you directly before I get started in my talk by simply telling you, I forgive you. And if you're laughing, you probably know why he said that. But he said, let me, let me explain, just, just for clarity. He said, because I know that I know that I know that there were times that I had my headphones on on the sideline, pressured by the unknowns of what was happening on the other side of the field and the overall win-loss record that we had so far that year and the play clock and the TV cameras and I had to make a split-second decision and it turned out to be the wrong one, as sometimes it does. And 30 minutes later, there you are laying on the couch, sitting back in your easy chair with all the time in the world to pick apart and analyze everything I had a half a second to make a decision about. And you were so brilliant that you looked over at your wife and said, that Joe Gibbs is an idiot. (laughs) Nothing quite as annoying as the peanut gallery, is there? You know what I'm talking about? The peanut gallery comes from It comes from P.T. Barnum's reference to those that would sit in the the upper lofts of the circus. They're not down on the stage. They're not helping in any way. They're they're up there where they serve the peanuts, and that's where the phrase came from. The, The peanut gallery, people that really don't participate a whole lot, but they like to sit in the peanut gallery. How many of you know somebody in the peanut gallery? Or maybe you're like, he might be there in the mirror when I get up in the morning. I'm kind of a hypercritic. And this is especially true in sports, not just for the Redskins. Four seasons ago, Amy and I were here in in, in Shepherdstown, and we were watching our Rams play and and cheering them on. And they, they just weren't having a very good day. And there was this guy about two rows down from us who wanted them to know that they were not having a very good day. And he was yelling at them about strategy and yelling at them about what they all did, yelling at the coaches. And then finally, he started yelling at the players. And by the third quarter, his wife and children had come with him. All right, he's two rows in front of us. They're now sitting four rows behind me and my wife because they're embarrassed by him. And the players are actually beginning to be distracted by him. And eventually, believe it or not, one of Shepherdstown's finest had to come down and sit next to him, and tell him to be quiet. You ever met somebody like that? And, and the guy sitting next to me finally leaned over after all of those shenanigans were done, and he said, he's here every game. And here's the thing, here's the thing. He's never played a snap of football in his entire worthless life, all right? That's the peanut gallery right there, Right. Somebody's never played a snap, but they know what needs to happen. They they get all upset. Did you know that's also true when it comes to work for the kingdom of God? You can either be on the floor doing the things that God has called you, or you can be in the peanut gallery. And a lot of people are are in the peanut gallery, not even because they refuse to play their role. They don't know what their role is. No one's really told them. And and what we're going to learn this morning is that everybody here today who calls Jesus Lord has a role to play. That's why he wants you to surrender because you've got a place on this team. And so I, I want us to draw some inspiration from another group of people who knew their role and they played their part. And that brings us back to the text that Kathy read for us at the outset of our time together. A little background on, on this particular part of Luke. This is, uh, this is an account that happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So, so he's traveling around place to place. This account is just one of which, additionally, he encounters the Pharisees the religious leaders of his day. Now, in, in conservative evangelical Christian circles, every time we heard, hear the word Pharisee, we think of something bad. But this this group of religious leaders were not all bad people. In fact, you read closely enough in the New Testament, you find people like Nicodemus, people like, you know, there are other people, Joseph, others that, that were in this sect of Judaism who were just faithful and loved the Lord. And, and the sect itself started with a radical commitment to the integrity of God's word. We, we, We value the law. We want to obey God's law. We want to give attention to it. So these would have been people that 2,000 years later would have been in my line of work. But in case you haven't noticed, even people in my line of work can do their work in a way that seems quite oppressive. You ever notice that? And that's what it had gotten to. That's the level that it had gotten to. And it's evidenced in the fact that every time Jesus is around these men, there is a conflict, and so in this encounter, they asked, like they'd asked so many times before, who is this? And the tone of the text actually makes it clear what they're asking. Who does this man think he is? By what authority does he do what he does? Does he say what he says? But, which, by the way, you may not like their attitude, and I don't either, but did you know that's exactly the right question to ask? Who does this man think he is? That's exactly the right question to ask. In fact, in Matthew 16, Jesus says the disciples need to ask that question of themselves. He says to them, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Do you know that's the most important question any person on this planet is ever going to have to wrestle with? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If If you're already his follower, here's the question you have to ask. How do I get my friend or my coworker, my family member, my neighbor to that question? Here's another question. What are you willing to surrender to play your part to get them to that question? So I want to just briefly cover this story with you, give you four characteristics that define what we need if we're going to surrender. We were issued that challenge last week. Jesus wants all of us He wants it to be said of you and to me that the dust of our rabbi covers us. That's how closely we walk to him. Here are four dispositions that are needed if you and I are going to get there. Number one, you need a mission. You need a mission, and so do I. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They knew what they had to do. They had a mission. They had a mission. See, it can be a mission can be something as simple as, hey, we gotta get our friend into proximity of this other guy. Okay? If you, if you went to the WVU Texas basketball game yesterday, and if you're a Mountaineer fan, I'm sorry. Doubly sorry to tell you that Pastor Chris, one of our own, is a profoundly proud Longhorn. So he had a really good night last night and he was at that game. But, but, but if your mission is to get to the game. And in Chris's case, to, to get out alive, right, you, you make a plan. And that's what they do. But, but to make a plan, you've got to know in advance what you're going to do, don't you? And so that's what these men did. Mission helps define us. Mission gives us direction in our life, in our families, in our churches, and in our work. Mi- mission is what keeps any corporate body on target and moving in the right direction. This is true in the corporate world. Outside of the church even, if you work for a healthy company, that company knows why it exists, and the moment it forgets that is the moment it begins to die. We cleaned out some things from my father-in-law's home over the Christmas holidays, and I found a 20-gauge shotgun, beautiful, beautiful, wood grain, and I'm thinking, I wonder who made this? Was this a Bay State shotgun? Is this a Remington? I held it up and etched right on the barrel. You know what it said? Sears and Roebuck Company. You remember that? Like You could buy guns from the Sears catalog at one point in this country. And and so I I thought, man, that's amazing. And then that, that that was a month ago. My wife and I were at Frederick yesterday. We pulled into the parking lot of the mall. Guess what we saw where Sears used to be? Completely empty retail space. That's what, we've, that's what we saw, right? Companies that lose their mission die. Churches that forget their mission die. That's the point here. You need a mission. And so if you're in a healthy company, They have a mission, and they enforce it. And and, and so in your job, you may have experienced that. You you start to venture outside your job description, and you do that in such a way that that it starts to actually counteract the the overall mission of the church, and you've got a healthy boss. He or she's going to reel you in. Some of y'all might need to go to work tomorrow morning and apologize to your boss because you think she was just being mean to you. When the fact of the matter is, she's trying to keep you on track because she's got to keep the company healthy so that you can get paid. She's actually doing you a favor. And you didn't even know it. Mission does that for us. It, it keeps us focused. And so you need a mission. What, what you're doing might even be a good thing, but, it, but it, if it's not within the scope of the mission, it, it's holding everybody else back. Now, let me give you some examples of missions. Anybody have TikTok on their phone? Nobody's willing to admit they have TikTok on their phone. That's funny. Did you know TikTok has a mission? Here it is. To inspire creativity and bring joy. That's way. To inspire creativity. Well, I'd say they've done that. There's some interesting things on TikTok. And to bring joy. And I would footnote to spy for the Chinese government. That's a whole nother, all right? You think I'm kidding, but I'm serious. Instagram. To capture and share the world's moments. Who's got an Instagram account? I got one. It's okay. You can have an Instagram account. Did you know simply by participating in their platform, you are helping them accomplish their mission? You probably didn't even realize you were doing that. To capture and share the world's moments. Facebook, been around for, since I think 2004. Listen to Facebook's mission. Giving people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. I don't think it's working. <laughs> right? but, it, but that's what they wanted to do, right? And so sometimes what is the mission? It helps you see a misalignment between your preferred values and what, what's what's actually happening. If Facebook were gonna write their actual mission rather than their preferred one, it probably would be this, giving grandparents the ability to keep up with the grandkids that haven't yet left the platform. That would be the real one, right? And grandparents, parents, if you wanna find your kids, they're on Instagram. Just throwing that one in for free. Our church has a mission statement. Growing, passionate followers Of Jesus Christ who serve all people. What is one of the primary things we'll be doing if we accomplish that mission? The answer is following Jesus, doing the exact thing I was talking about last week. Well, what is his mission? Look at Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's his mission. Now, watch this after healings and sermons and time invested in his disciples amounting to about three years and a trial and a crucifixion and a resurrection. Jesus then appears to his followers and he says the following in John 20, 21, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus' mission for you and me is to follow him in such a way, remember the dust of your rabbi all over you, you not only just believe what he believes and do what he does, you do it in the way that he does it. That's what he wants. And the thing he wants us to do in the way he does it is to seek and to save the lost. That's what he wants. So that's our mission. What, what drives you? What pushes you? What's that thing gets you out of bed that you don't need an alarm clock for? Is it a good job you're after? Is it a job you already have? Is it early retirement? Is it good inheritance for your kids? Listen, all that's good stuff. None of those are the main thing. If we follow Jesus, and Jesus says we are sent just as he is sent, and his mission is so abundantly clear as to not be denied, then at the top of our list is to incarnate ourselves among people who do not know him, to love them, to live in relationship with them, to serve them, and to share with them the greatest message that's ever been shared in all of human history, to seek and to save the lost. That's it. And I'll tell you, I have a a report on my desk. It came out about two months ago. It's an 83-page document that that Tim Keller's organization, Gospel and Life, put out, and it's called The Decline and Renewal of the American Church. I've read almost all of it at this point, much of it saddens me. Almost none of it surprises me because of what I've experienced as a pastor, because what I've seen the body of Christ and the, the encapsulated in the Western church kind of become. We, it's lost its mission. The best we can do, in fact, I think Alan Hirsch was right more than a decade ago when he said 80% of evangelical churches in North America are after the same 20% of the population being defined as you ready for this? People who go to other churches. So it becomes Home Depot across from Lowe's. This is ridiculous, right? That's, that's what is happening in, in so many. And why is that? I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. I have, several, I have several ideas. I'm not going to put those forward today. Because they'd all just be Joel's opinion. But I will tell you that 20% is getting smaller with every successive generation. We, brothers and sisters, need to grab onto a mission that involves people in our lives whose eternal destiny keeps us up at night. People for whom the prospect of being separated from God for eternity drives us to tears. That's a mission. Not exasperation because they may refuse to believe as we believe, Not not a refusal or some sense to cancel them or cut them off, such love and devotion to the relationship. I think that's why we have a hard time incarnating ourselves. I think that's why so much of the idea that we have, I'll get into some stories later about non-Christian friends of mine that I've gotten into trouble with my own tribe because I hang out with these people. I think at the core of that, there's some emotional insecurity on our part that says, you know what, if they never believe as I do, right? it's either practical universalism that I think, oh, well, they'll be fine, okay, or it's, I believe the gospel, I believe what's true about the eternal destiny of people who, who die outside of a relationship with Jesus, and I don't want to get too close because if this person that I love unconditionally, and that unconditional love leads them to never believe as I believe, that might do some things to me emotionally, and that's just too much, that's too much of a price to pay, which sounds kind of strange, doesn't it, for a group of people who claim to worship a crucified man? This is the mission that God has called us to. You need a mission. And with that mission, you need an expectation. These guys tear away the roof. They lower this man down. And, and look, at the, look at the response of Jesus in verse 20. Seeing their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. This is what got Pharisees so upset. But they expected something. So that, that's why they're willing to go through all the trouble. Because you don't take the kind of risk these guys are taking unless you believe that something is going to happen. Because we've all had moments, have we not? We just go, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just not going to bother. Every time I call the cable company, no offense to anybody that works for Comcast, all right? But I'm, I'm not trying to out your company except to say that they're the only game in town pretty much which means if they want to be mediocre, they can be mediocre. And so I I look, (laughs) I I call, you know, internet goes out, something happens, and I have to call them. You know the first thing I do? I put myself mentally in a place to be sorely disappointed. You ever been there? Like I'm just ready to be, I'm, I'm ready for the first question to be, well, what'd you do wrong? Have you unplugged it and plugged it back in? No, no. I waited 45 minutes to talk to you. Yeah. And that way, when they meet my expectation, I'm not disappointed. Right? But some of us treat Jesus like the cable company. Some of us in our relationship with Jesus, our faith in what he is capable of what of doing is about as expectant as the faith I place in the internal revenue service to not lose documents I send them. Jesus' track record gives us absolutely no reason to feel this way. Did you know that? I mean, these men... They'd already heard of his powerful message in the synagogue. They'd already heard, if they weren't there themselves, of how he cleansed the leper. And and you and me, we've heard lots more stories than that over the last 2,000 years, have we not, in the rest of the Gospels? Things these men probably didn't even experience personally, and yet, here we go. Pastor, I just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel for my addicted relative, Lord. Pastor, I can't envision a future where my husband is following Jesus. I, I just You don't know my coworker. There, there is simply no way. And if it helps, if it's small comfort to you, I've been there too. 20-plus years ago, there was this guy named Rodney, and he, he was a part of the church where I was serving on staff, and the end of the service came, and Rodney was just rough around. I'm not going to describe everything about him except to just tell you. He was one of those types that you just think, man, it's just absolutely irredeemable right? Could God ever do anything with that guy? Just, just, just a horrible, horrible background. And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, got to the end of the service. I'm standing down front. It's time for people to respond. And I look in the back row and this dude gets up. And would you like to know how filled with faith I was? My first thought was, ah, time for you to leave. But then he started coming down the, the aisle. You know what my second thought was? There are bathrooms back there, man. Why you got to get in front of it? Like, like this is what your pastor was thinking. And then he gets three rows from the front, and he just like starts to collapse. He goes to his knees. So now I'm so spiritual, I'm thinking, great, he's going to have a heart attack and die right in the middle of the church service. Like, that's what I'm thinking. I got down. Face-to-face to to him, I said, man, you all right? And when he looked up, it was like the face of a different man, and he just simply said, I need Jesus. Don't ever think God can't do that, because he has. And he continues to do it. Some of you got kids driving you nuts right now. You say, Pray. like what am I going to do I need more controls I need you're getting to the place I had a pastor friend of mine that every time we meet together we get we're going to have a meal and I go all right let's pray and he goes has it come to that some of us that's how we think isn't it like has it come to that yeah yeah it's come to that time to pray your guts out right outside that room in fact don't even don't wait until they rebel that little chenille bedside with that little three, four-year-old girl in your house right now. that that, that all, the, all the Marvel stuff all over the walls. The big fat heads of, of Captain America's shield and the sheets of that little boy in your home and just pray. Pray for God to do something in the life of your kid. Pray for God to do something in the life of your parents and expect, right? Contrast that with the, the attitude of these men. This is what this is what God wants. And if your expectations are low still, you would not be the first, nor would I. You know, there was this guy named Saul of Tarsus. He presided over the killing of one of the first named deacons that we ever heard about. It's funny, we're having an appreciation luncheon today, four deacons at Pastor Dave's house. And I'm really looking forward to, to thanking those men and women. You have no idea what they contribute to the kingdom here. But one of the first things we do when we onboard them is we we... <laughs> We read them Acts chapter seven and we say, You ready for somebody to kill you? Like, cause that that's what happened with Stephen. He's a deacon. He's not a pastor, but he can throw. Because he preaches the gospel, it gets him killed, and the guy responsible for it is this guy, Saul of Tarsus, and by his own testimony in his letter to Philippi he says that's all I wanted to do I wanted to hunt these people down I wanted to jail them I wanted to kill them and then then fast forward to Acts chapter 9 there's this disciple named Ananias who's in Damascus city still there all these years all these centuries later one chapter earlier we're told that the Jewish authorities have granted Paul a basically unlimited warrant to round up all of the Christ followers the followers of the way that's what they call Christianity at that point in history because Jesus said he was the way. Go to Syria, round them all up. Most likely, Ananias had heard Paul was on his way to Damascus. What do you think his expectation was? It's time for me to hide my boys. But in in chapter 9, verse 10 and following, the Lord comes to him in a vision. Put yourself in Ananias' shoes here for a moment and says, hey, he's already here in the city, okay? At the home of a man named Judas. I need you to go lay hands on him and give him his sight back. And Ananias goes, What? We, yeah. You know that guy's a terrorist, right? You you want me to go heal Osama? Is that what you want me to do? Like, yeah. And we're given the reason for that in verse 15. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The Lord doesn't blink. Let me ask you, if God can take Osama and so tra- of the first century and so transform him that he goes on to write half the New Testament, what in the world makes you think his arm is so short that he can't save anybody he pleases? including that person that you think is irredeemable? What, you think addiction is going to get in his way? Some of you work with addicted people on this campus and off this campus. You, you think the doubts that people have, the circumstances of their life, can, can overcome the kind of power that we read about in Scripture? Has the Lord ever broken a promise? Here's, here's the thing. We, we need the expectation And by the way, when you're praying for that expectation, use these words, Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 39, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. That's a prayer I prayed for every single one of my three children. Because who their daddy is has nothing to do with their eternal destiny. It's their decision. And here's the thing. I've seen what their free will can do, and I put absolutely no confidence in it. I've seen what their daddy's free will can do. My confidence is in the power of the Lord to save We need to live with that kind of expectation that nothing will stop God from arresting someone's entire being and bringing them to say blessed is the name of the Lord. So live with a mission, live with expectation. In order to do that, you're gonna need some determination. That's number three because you're gonna encounter some obstacles. Verse 19, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed, through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Okay, this is pretty radical. How many people would have carried that man all the way up to the entrance and then once they saw the crowd, they stopped? Put yourself in their shoes for a moment, because I have. I've been there. You ever make the unfortunate, dumb decision as I have to go to Walmart and pick up one thing, to go to Target for some toothpaste? I have learned that my time sometimes is more valuable than what's in my wallet, and I will pay an extra dollar for toothpaste I don't have to wait for. It. Y'all feel me? Like, I, you ever been at my kids will tell you. They, they, yeah, I mean, if they're ever talking about the un, like like the, the kind of the dark side of dad's character, like we love daddy, we love daddy, we we I hope my kids would say he's a godly man, he loves Jesus, he loves us, he takes care of us, but 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 boy daddy's sanctification gets really tested. Sometimes when we go to Target and we pick up one, two, maybe three things, and we round the corner and the line is from here to the south freaking parking lot, and they will say, Daddy always says the same thing. I don't think so. <laughs> we'll lay this product right here. They can keep it. I ain't waiting in no line. And then I, I read a story like this and I go, ooh. Now, now this ain't toothpaste, Okay. This is something more important. How many people give up too quickly? Right. You pray, and it doesn't happen. You're like, well, it must not work. Well, no, you're not working. Right? You live with an expectation. You've got to have some determination. You think the Lord's going to make this easy for you? Of course some of you do, because you're so baptized in prosperity gospel nonsense. That you, Yeah, it's just everything's supposed to be easy. right? Always happy, always fulfilled, always in a fallen world? You're not supposed to feel even some of the very pain that Jesus himself felt when he came to save the world? Everything's supposed to be easy. There's going to be some obstacles. But these men, let's tear off some shingles. What's in the way? What are we doing? What's in the way? Let's tear off some shingles, Let's roll back some sub-roofing like a can of sardines. Let's find a hole. Let's kick down a door. Let's do whatever we have to do to get our friend where he needs to be. How many people today never get to the point of talking about their faith because they allow little things to appear like big things? These guys saw a roof, and they could have seen that as a big thing. That's going to be right. No, it's nothing. It's a few shingles. Start digging. I'm sure the homeowner really appreciated that. Right? Let's go. There's something more important here. How many people just don't do it because little things appear as big things? It's an uncomfortable conversation. People might say, no, I, I don't know. Listen to the level of Paul's determination in 1 Corinthians 9 to the weak, I become weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means. I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. The Lord has taught me that personally in many, many ways over the last almost 30 years of ministry. But I think the group of people he has used to most form and shape me around what this looks like are Muslims. I, I, yeah, yeah. My experience, many, many years ago, God in his kind providence opened up an opportunity for me to rub shoulders with that community of people in the Washington, D.C., and the Baltimore areas. I did not know what I was doing. Everything I knew about Islam in 2012 consisted of four weeks of reading that I was required to do in a 16-week world religions course I took as a seminary student. That's another way of saying I knew absolutely nothing about Islam, nothing. And here they come. And here I am, all right, knowing, knowing this much about Islam, know, knowing that my Muslim neighbors believe I'm going to go to hell as long as I confess that Jesus is God, knowing conversely that I believe and have believed my entire ministry, that that's where they're going to go until they confess Jesus as God. See, that's where people go, well, I, compromise. No, there's no compromise here. Each of us knows what the other believes, but the issue is Jesus doesn't just say go and share. Jesus says do this as I have done it. Y'all know Jesus didn't just stand on the precipice of heaven and preach a sermon, right? He took this stuff on himself. He walked in our mess, in our rot. He felt the pain of so much of the effects of this fallen world that he did not have to feel. And he did it for you and he did it for me. That's what our, our faith teaches us. And so I had to learn through this. And as I watch them, very passionate people themselves, great devotion to their own religious tradition, and I see them, the thing that amazes us most is watching, some of the, watching them persevere through Ramadan without food or water during the daylight hours because they are seeking God. And you know what what grew out of me of that? Something that that my friends still don't agree with, and I I understand that and respect that, but based based on what I believe the Scriptures to teach is during that time of year, to pray and to develop a passion for God to really actually reveal Himself to them through that nothing's changed about what I believe. A bloody cross, an empty tomb, that's how you know God. That's what I believe. That's what, that's what our Bible teaches. But you know what else I had to come to the conclusion? These people have to be my friends. Surrender to Jesus means I love everybody. That's what it means. It means I love people whose beliefs drive me crazy. It means I love people who want things that I think might even be toxic or dangerous, but I love people because Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. Yeah, this really isn't all that hard, is it? Like it takes a theologian to get up here and tell you, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? This isn't hard. How How do we walk this out? You know, you end up working together with people like that. Even if you don't believe you're going to heaven together, you you come to the realization, you know, right now we're sharing the earth together and we're going to leave it behind for our kids. So, you know, maybe we ought to link arms in, in some areas like that. But you know what that'll do? It'll get you in trouble with your tribe. So let me tell you what God's calling us to do here. Sometimes shingles aren't shingles. Sometimes shingles are ideas. Sometimes shingles are limits. Sometimes shingles are other people that we're afraid of their disapproval if you ever get to the point that you believe you can't love your neighbor in the way that God describes in the scriptures, because you are afraid of getting in trouble with your tribe, let your tribe go hang and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus is telling us to do here. You want to talk about dealing with the division and the polar brothers sisters that'll do it okay because you're going to get this kind of why are you hanging out with them there's an assumption there it's it's what i call the christian bubble we live in it all the time i have discovered that if you're going to if you're going to live incarnationally among some of some of these you're going to walk around with a needle you got to pop a few bubbles And I know I've done some things that have made some of y'all uncomfortable, and I love you, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I am going to pop your bubble. Because Jesus has a mission for you. He has a mission for you. What would it look like for you to, what's that hole that you need to dig through a roof, and you're afraid of the roof? You need determination. You know what will give you all this? Here's the final thing, God's vision. These men, even with their determination, do you realize their vision was not as large as Jesus' vision? That's what we see here. It's it's why they got more than they bargained for. Jesus didn't just heal this man. He forgave his sins. He dealt with the root of the problem, and he didn't just put a Band-Aid on something. Jesus always does that. Verse 26, amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. They knew he was a healer. So they're just hoping at the end of all this, maybe their friend will be able to walk again. Instead, of this, Jesus takes care of this man's greatest problem by absolving him of his sins, which, by the way, is where all suffering comes from. Now, that does not mean that if you're suffering that you've done something to deserve this, that that, that sin causes suffering means if you're suffering in some way, you did something, and maybe you don't even know what it is. God's not vindictive like that. But it does mean that the sin curse on the world means that this world is broken, and along with it, every part of you and me is less than it should be. And so helping this man walk without addressing his sin is kind of like a doctor giving you something to mask the symptoms but providing no cure. Jesus deals with the sickness and the symptoms, and in the process, in the face of his own critics, he sent everybody home glorifying God. This is what Paul would testify to later. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Set your expectations within the bounds of Scripture. Okay. Again, no prosperity gospel nonsense. I want a Cadillac. God will give me five Cadillacs. Bunk. Okay. been telling you all to turn that crap off for ten years now. No within the bounds of Scripture, set your expectations as high as you could possibly fathom, the Lord Jesus will exceed them. That's what we learn here. Jesus will exceed them. He will, he will do the miraculous. What he wants to do is probably greater than what you want him to do. So that's what we got to do. The, the, you know, oftentimes I feel like the best the Western church can do is give people an experience on Sunday morning that, and frankly, I mean, Disney does a whole lot better job at that, just let, let them go to Disney, right? It's like, what? Right, here's what we're going to do. I have, a, I have a friend, I love him, he's great. I, I think he has, I think he's got good intentions. I think he's sincere, I also think he's dumb. And he says, we program the response at our church. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, when I call people to come forward, we want a full altar, and we want people to repent, and we want... Well, yeah, we'd like that too. That, you know, that doesn't happen every, happens every Sunday at our church. I'm like, how? And he goes, well, we just, we just have people that know that's their job. Their job? Yeah, they come forward and, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of priming the pump, you know, priming the pump, priming the pump. You point me somewhere in God's word where we got to prime the freaking pump. Because that's the best we can do. Don't settle for the mundane when Jesus wants to do the miraculous and do what only God can do. So so we can keep priming the pump or we can pray and we can expect and maybe even start believing that today's addicts will be tomorrow's pastors. Today's alcoholics will be tomorrow's deacons. At 10 years from now, people will look at the panhandle, and the difference in that short decade compels them to declare there must be a God in Shepherdstown. Wouldn't that be something? Surrender yourself, and this is what happens. What role is God calling you to play in removing every barrier, tearing off every roof, breaking down every door in anticipation of what will fill you and me and the world with awe? Or maybe you're here this morning, you recognize yourself in this story. You're like, yep, I'm the paralytic on the mat. I'm the guy whose life is broken and whose sin has not yet been dealt with through the cross and the resurrection, and I, I, I need to come to faith in Jesus. There are going to be people on these crosses here in just a few minutes, and they're ready to receive you and tell you exactly how to begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here, and you're like, my friend, my coworker, my husband, wife, neighbor, brought me here to meet Jesus. Yep, that's exactly what they did. And you can meet him today. They want to offer you the greatest hope in the history of mankind. Or maybe you're here, and you're like, man, I got work to do. Yes, you do, and I do too. Come and repent and find forgiveness and find a heavenly Father who loves you and who is anxious not to judge you for what you have refused to do in the past, but what you have surrendered yourself to do from this moment forward. Surrender yourself to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for simple stories like this one. Stories that outside the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, we would have never known about. They would have never been mentioned. And it reminds us, Father, that oftentimes you do your most powerful work in the most mundane ways. It wasn't some great city crusade. It wasn't some big fancy production. It, wasn't, it, was, it was simply a group of people in somebody else's home and a group of guys tearing the holes in the roof. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to keep our eyes on the mission and Lord in these next few moments make us obedient to that call I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Joel here and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God and if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.